For over 100 years, the Grand Rapids Chamber has been a force for good. Our methods may have changed, but we are still creating a thriving and prosperous West Michigan for all. Para todos. For all. This is the Back to Business Podcast with your Grand Rapids Chamber. Welcome to the Back to Business Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Smithy. Today, we're talking recycling, we're talking talent, we're talking all kinds of things. Today, I've got with me Andy Johnston, Senior Vice President for the Grand Rapids Chamber, and Jason Kerr, President of Valley City Electronic Recycling. Thank you both for coming out on the show today. Happy and to be here. Yeah, Andy, I will start with you. Just tell me a little bit about your work with the Chamber and what your position entails. Yeah, I've been with the Chamber for more than 16 years. So, you know, while the Earth's crust was cooling, I've been uh, with the Chamber and I'm responsible for our advocacy efforts and telling the Chamber story uh, with our communications and marketing and events and the work of our foundation. So love what we do at the Chamber, trying to make West Michigan a better place. Awesome. And Jason, tell me a little bit about your company, what you guys do, and what your role, how you fit in with all that. Yeah, so I am the uh, managing partner of Valley City Electronic Recycling. Um, we're an asset management and data security company. Um, we have a couple different um, niches that we focus on, one being corporate recycling and the second being residential. Um, typically, when we're talking corporate, we're um, taking back assets like laptops, desktops, uh, running all the data security uh, services on those and then repurposing them back into the marketplace. Um, when it comes to residential, we typically deal with municipalities um, that collect large amounts of e-waste from the residents and we bring that material back to our shop and dismantle it for commodities. Oh, that's really interesting. How long have you been with them? Uh, I purchased the company about 10 years ago. Okay, so you've had a little bit of time, you know <laughs> what you're doing. And Andy, um, one thing we've talked a lot about at the chamber is talent and how the talent crisis has really become one of the biggest issues for our members. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, talent's definitely the top issue um, now as we're coming out of the pandemic. And um, pandemic's officially over now. Anthony Fauci has said so. We've moved <laughs> past that. So uh, before the pandemic, talent was a top concern. Um, the COVID-19 definitely accelerated some of the issues that we've been facing. And what the data is showing is that we're headed into a sandsdemic, which means without people, uh, at least for the next decade or so, um, that it's, it's really going to be tough uh, to find more people. A lot of that has to do with demographic trends. It also has to do with the changing nature of, of work as well. Uh, and we're fully focused at the chamber to do anything we can to improve the workforce participation rate. Uh, and that's why Jason's here today is uh, to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're doing a all the above strategy at the chamber to try to help members in our community uh, through this uh, sandsdemic because um, we still want to be a growing region. We are a growing region uh, in the state um, and we love announcing new businesses but you know when you announce those new businesses with oh man a hundred new jobs that are being created well, where are the people gonna come from uh, to fill those jobs? And one of the things that I've really been proud of uh, to work on at the Grand Rapids Chamber is our work around policies to support returning citizens, re-entering the workforce, um, and re-entering society uh, uh, um, from, a, from a bigger perspective. You know, 95% of uh, the people that enter our criminal justice system are gonna come back to our community. Um, so how do we reduce recidivism? How do we get them integrated? Um, and that's why I was really excited to have Jason um, on the podcast today to talk a little bit about that. 
uh, and you know this pool of people, you know, returning citizens, is ones that, is one that employers can tap into. Um, so, Jason, talk a little bit, maybe uh, from your perspective, how did you get started on your journey uh, with hiring people coming out of the correction yeah. system? Yeah, actually, so the the person that I bought the company from um, was kind of using this model to a certain extent when I when I purchased it. Um, they had you know maybe two or three of these types of individuals working for them. Um, and quite frankly, I, I was a little leery of it at first. I mean, I didn't really know that much about it. Um, I just bought this business, um, so I had a lot of different things that I'm trying to, to get my hands around. Um, so I was probably, you know, I scrutinized these folks probably um, extra hard, um, you know, probably trying to look for, for holes in, in this type of, um, using this type of labor. But what I found was just the opposite. I mean, these, these individuals were some of the most hardworking, um, loyal employees that we had. And when it came time to, you know, add jobs or um, replace workers, I essentially doubled down and I, and I just kept hiring more and more folks with these types of backgrounds. Um, you know, not only because I thought it, it was the right thing to do, which it was, um, but from a work standpoint, like, you know, these folks just seemed to care more about my business than, you know, a quote unquote um, traditional employee. Um, so that's where I kind of started, you know, 10 years back, and I've kind of built on that. Um, almost to the point where um, I'm pulling exclusively from this pool. Um, I really feel there, there's probably, even before the pandemic, I kind of realized there's a market inefficiency there uh, where these folks are, uh, you know, it, it is tough for these folks to get jobs. I mean, it, even, you know, there's so many companies still with a check the box, so um, on the applications that if they have a felony, they have to check the box. That precludes them from even getting in the door. Um, then if they're lucky enough to get in the door, um, you know, I'd say nine times out of ten, they're, they're getting shut down still um, because of what's on their record. And, you know, it, what I found is it, it's, just not, it's just not right. We, we don't do the box at all, obviously. Um, but even, even so, we're, we're not, you know, uh, we're not talking about um, records and things like that. We're, we're seeing what these folks can bring to the table and, and giving them a second chance. And you mentioned that they cared more than other employees. Is there a reason for that? Like, have you noticed, like, there's certain things that they care about more? Have you noticed anything with, about that? So, so my feeling on that is, and, and this has changed and developed over the years, but when I, when I say they care more, um, I think they value the job more um, because what it has taken for them to get a job, they appreciate that a little more than a person who doesn't have the same type of record um, can easily, I don't want to say easily, but lose a job and then walk out the door and, and find another job, especially in a market like this, I mean, where it becomes a little easier. Um, but even before, I, th I think they just value it more because how hard it was for them to get. And you're taking a chance on them. You're, you're saying, we believe in you to do this job um, yeah. uh, to, to help our company. 100%, yeah. We, I mean, there is some, we're taking a chance. Uh, but it's not one-sided. I mean, but you always take a some. chance when you hire somebody, right? <laughs> like, exactly is this, is this yeah. thing going to work out? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, you mentioned being leery of it, um, and I think a lot of employers we talk to are a little leery of it. Is this different? Um, and you know, not all employers can hire folks with a criminal background. There are certain industries where there's insurance or other regulations, but I think more industries than you think can hire folks with a criminal background or do. Right. Um, so how do, you over, how do you help other employers, you know, given your experience, overcome some of that leeriness they might have about uh, tapping into this pool? Right. Um, you know, for, for industries like ours, like a manufacturing type 
industry, this works very well. Um, I understand that there are some that it's not going to work, but um, for ours, it, it's great. Um, you know, in terms of overcoming it, you know, I think it's one, you just got to be open to trying because it's one of those things without trying, you know, you, you really can't get the, the full feel of it. Um, I would say another way to overcome it potentially would be talk to somebody like me who's had some experience. And there's a number of people in town that, you know, um, employ this type of labor model. Um, so speaking to somebody who's had the experience um, can be very valuable. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's the only difference between um, these types of people and, and, you know, somebody you're coming off right off the street is, you know, they've served time. I mean, and, and yeah. at the end of the day, you know, go through the process still, the interview process, and just forget about the fact that they, they have a record. Mm -hmm. um, and then pick the best candidate. I mean, you don't have to pick these, these folks, but you're going to be surprised that if you do the, you know, the blank Coke Pepsi test, a lot of times you're going to, you know, come out with, you know, the person that might have the record. And, you know, it, it can be a uh, good thing down the road, that's what I'm here to say. So when we talk about identifying workers in that pool of returning citizens, um, how do how can employers you know you know post jobs to you know so folks right. uh, with this background see that or how can they get connected to this uh, pool of workers? Yeah, so there's there's a definite um, network of uh, organizations that you can uh, work through here in town. Um, you know, I've done some things over, over the years with Hope Network. Um, Goodwill, uh, Alternative Directions, uh, 70 by 7 uh, Ministries, and I'm, I'm sure there's there's others, but I've plugged into a couple of those networks. And, and, and those nonprofits are helping people who are coming out of the system, right? Correct, correct. Um, and that's how I started using those types of networks. But after, after I've, I've been doing this now for almost 10 years, um, there's been sort of a pipeline that's developed in terms of referrals. Uh, from people who have gotten jobs through me, um, the word just it kind of seems to get out. And Isn't that uh, always the best yeah. way to yeah. find people? Is word yeah. of mouth, right? No, no yeah. doubt. I mean, yeah. I, I'd much rather nothing against those organizations. They all do a great job, but it, it's it, it does seem to work a little better. That's it's great. more efficient. And do you have any success stories of people in particular where you're like, yeah, you know, I brought them in, I hired them, I brought them under my wing, and they really just took advantage of uh, our program? Uh, you know, I. I've, we've had several. Um, every every person we hire that has had a record has been coming out, and we've been able to keep employed for you know a length of time. We consider that a success. Um, some end up being there longer than others. I mean, in a perfect world, my, my model was when I first started doing this was I wanted to you know hire some folks and have them um, maybe work a couple years, develop some job history. Because another reason that these these folks don't get jobs right away is they have, they have large gaps in their in their resumes um, because they've been spending time you know behind bars or whatever and that's difficult for them to explain uh, through the interview process so what I want to do is have them work at our company for a couple years um, fill this this job gap and then go parlay it to bigger and better because uh, you know obviously we're a small company um, we have 30 employees um, people can make more money um, elsewhere eventually but what we found is we've had a couple guys who've been with us for six, seven years, and um, I've tried to, I've told them, you know, gently push, said, hey, guys, I can go help you find jobs that are going to pay more. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they feel comfortable being around um, our company and our culture and things like that, and they really don't have a desire to leave. 
Um, and I'm not going to make them leave. Right. Like, I, I explain them that, you know, they could be doing better. But, it, again, it gets down to comfort. And, you know, when these folks have – most haven't help, had friends for longer than a couple of years. Now they've had a job where they've had it for seven. I mean, th that's why that, – that develops that loyalty and the care that we're talking about uh, when we started. Yeah, and looking, you know, back to where you started, you said you've been doing this about 10 years now. Um, I'm wondering, like, if you've seen any, you know, big – Let's look 10 years in the future. Do you see any big ripple effects coming from the work that you've done here, either in the returning citizens community or just across Grand Rapids as a whole? Like, what is, you know, the work that you're doing here? What is that going to mean in 10 years? That's a great question. I mean, gosh, I, I, I would hope in 10 years um, this is a lot more commonplace um, that, uh, you know, there's a, the community network of people doing what we're doing is, is a lot larger um, and I think, I, I think it will be. I mean, I think it almost has to be with the way that the labor force is, is going. Uh, companies are going to have to look so outside the box. And not that this is even that outside the box anymore. It might be a little outside of people's comfort zones. Um, but I, it's not a huge hurdle. And I, I think getting educated and talking to folks that are doing it um, will definitely move the needle for people there. And I, they'll be glad they did it. And I appreciate you sharing the story because there's nothing more powerful than somebody who's in business, leading a business, sharing the story with other business leaders right. um, to get them comfortable with it, overcome some of that leeriness. And so what I'm hearing too is if you want to get started in this, talk to some of these nonprofits, get engaged so you can build that word of mouth network that you're experiencing at uh, Valley City. And then also really think about your interview process and who's doing the interviewing for your company uh, so that when that, that, that question comes up of, man, there's really a big a big resume gap, gap you, yeah. yeah, resume gap, and then how you treat that internally and what you're looking to hire for as well. Because I can just see some busy HR people going, eh, here's two candidates. This guy might be a little bit better, but he has a business background. Let's go with, or a criminal background. Let's go with somebody else. Right. Yeah, and I, th I think that's true. I, th I think historically, uh, maybe some of this has gotten bottlenecked in HR. And listen, we're, we're a smaller company, so we can be a little more nimble. Um, we don't have a full-fledged HR department. That's, you know, that's me. Um, so it's very easy for me to implement change. Um, for companies that do have, you know, robust HR, uh, it might take some C-suite folks getting involved and, and kind of selling it uh, down the line. Yeah, and getting engaged there. Correct. Any other tips that we've missed? I've, I've, I've also heard from some employers um, that it's best to hire you know, more than one uh, person with a criminal background if you can, yeah. just so there isn't that kind of exclusion maybe yeah. in, the, in the general workforce. Uh, but you know, how much do you really need to share that with the rest of your employees as well? I'm not sure you can. Right, uh, yeah. But, you I mean, know, if it comes out, yeah. you know, yeah. You know, it's for the more than one. We've always had more than one, per se. Um, but I, I understand that from a culture perspective. I mean, I think that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th doing this and, and hiring these types of folks has really enhanced our, our corporate culture, too. I mean, we, we get a lot of different viewpoints now that historically w uh, we weren't getting uh, when we had a, a more, uh, you know, typical workforce. Yeah. Um, so, so that's been another benefit. And, you know, with what I'm hearing from HR and other uh, chamber members, too, is that just in general right now with how t tight the labor market is, if somebody doesn't show up, you know, ask why. Don't just immediately like say, "Help, oh, sorry, we have a no call, no show policy." And if you violate that twice, you know, right. we're kicking you to the like. You just can't afford to do that in this yeah, day and age. You have to yeah. be so yeah. much more flexible. No, no matter with 
what your employees' backgrounds are. Yeah. Um, but you know, this that that's something that we always or I always preach in interviews uh, with these folks was uh, we're looking we're not looking for guys to come in and, and change the world here. We're looking for them to uh, just do the very basic work skills um, and, and the right things. So like, if you're gonna be sick call in do the do the basic things and, and a lot of th that's where you need to be a little more patient at least initially um, not that you should have to because but there might be a little bit of feeling like feeling like you know ashamed or issues like oh, i don't have a car my car broke down or i don't have somebody to call right but just explain that you yeah. find that people are pretty understanding and you're, you're reteaching basic uh skills i mean mm. some of these folks have very limited skills not not all some some will really surprise you but you know in, and getting back to what I was saying, like filling these resume gaps, teaching basic skills, getting them more prepared for, for next step, whether that's with your company or with somebody else. And I want to touch on something real quick. You know, we've talked a lot about how this has been a really successful program. How is your business, you know, just with recycling and the whole industry, what does that look like um, in general since the pandemic and how have you guys been doing? Yeah. So, um, you people, know, are people getting new laptops yeah. and uh, <laughs> new electronics or not? Or not as much as well, that's where, yeah. the, that's where the supply chain comes in. Yeah. No, uh, they're trying to, but they're having a hard time getting a hold of them on new equipment. Um, in terms of us, as a recycler, is the supply chain for us is we're having a hard time getting our hands on the equipment from the people who are n not back at the office, so who, who are working at home. Mm -hmm. um, and individuals working at home, th this is going to be a wave of the future. Uh, so this is something that um, you know we're going to have to adjust. Now, this this equipment will always need to be recycled, um, but the, the time frame, um, the cycle might be a little longer in terms of us getting our hands on it. Because mm -hmm. um, it has to go from the people using it to the IT people and then to us. So it slowed that cycle down a little bit on the corporate side. Um, we're starting to see more companies come back, especially in Grand Rapids, to, to full strength in the office. Um, and that's definitely helped. Um, residentially, um, you know, a lot of the collection events weren't held at all over the you know, pandemic and, and just after. We're back to a full schedule this summer, so that's starting to uh, come back. Um, commodity pricing has, has been up, uh, so that helps on, on that uh, side of so the business. So inflation is somewhat benefiting you on the back end. It right? helps and hurts. Yeah, yeah. it helps and yeah. hurts. Um, you know, we were talking about supply chain earlier before we got on, and uh, you know, things like getting pallets and Gaylords. Um, fuel cost is, has gone through the roof on some of these things. Yeah, because in some ways, you, you know, recycling is really a logistics business. Yeah, I mean, it's it is in I many mean, ways. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's it, and, and electronic recycling is almost like a, a glorified trash business. Almost, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's some value there, um, but what I think, you know, most people think that there's more value there than there actually is. <laughs> I think a lot and, of people yeah. assume that, yeah. don't they? And, yeah. and, and with recycling in, in general, not just electronic recycling, you know, the mo the model wasn't set up necessarily the right way to begin with, um, where it was a, a free service. Because um, at the end of the day, we all there's know costs. we all know nothing's yeah. free. Yeah. And, and now the fact that with you know gas and, and pallets and gailers, that cost is going up and you know there's a very minimal cost to recycle um, you know there aren't too many services in the world that you're going to get for free and recycling should have never been one um, it's still not a huge cost but it, there's definitely cost there and, and people are going to have to realize that is there anything you know while we're talking to the broader chamber community that you would wish the business community knew more or knew about either your company or you know electronic recycling in general yeah, I mean, I, th I think that, um, you know, the business community here in West Mission is pretty knowledgeable when it comes to, like, electronic recycling. 
Um, I, I do think that, um, you know, electronic recycling is always the last piece of, of what businesses are doing. It's, it's the bottom of the, you know, everyone wants to get the new stuff, but sometimes the old stuff just sits in the mm -hmm. closet for a couple mm -hmm. years after the new stuff's opened. Mm -hmm. So you know, I want them to, re you know, the greater business community to realize that we're here as a, a source uh, to get rid of that old stuff um, in, a, in a safe environmental way where the, this, the information can be handled in the correct manner um, and in freeing up space. I mean, and freeing up some of your IT people's time. Some of this stuff is, is not super high level. Um, and it's priced accordingly, but um, it can be seen as, you know, not, not a waste of IT people's time, but they, their, their skills can be better off doing mm -hmm. different things, in it's my opinion, and for a lot of business. Especially now that everyone's working from home, we have such a large portion of people either working from home, working right. remote. Those IT people, like you said, probably could use their time somewhere else. Yep. Or, or people are running on, on thinner, you know, um, IT departments and, and, you know, they've cut back. So yeah. this, this is a place where we can help out. Awesome. Well, I think this is the perfect spot to end. Jason, Andy, thank you for having us, or thank you for coming on the show today. Love talking with you guys about returning citizens, that ever-present talent issue. Thanks for coming on the show today, guys. Thanks a lot, Connor. Thank you.